Sharif don't like it. You're listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the show that talks about identity and access management and making sure you know who has access to what. Let's get started. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Oh, not so bad yourself. I'm doing great. You've been the traveling man lately. I am tired, man. <laughs> I have been uh, working my ass off for the last couple of weeks, but yes, I have been uh, uh, not, you know, it's funny. It's It's been relatively easy travel. I went to Charlotte. I've been to downtown Chicago a couple of times, which is two more times than I think I was like all over the last two years <laughs> uh, for a bunch of stuff. But yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a tired boy at this point as we're recording late on a Friday. Uh, well, not late, but kind of evening Friday going into <laughs> This episode going live on Monday. <laughs> yeah. So any upgrades to first class while you're jet setting? No, I missed the uh, the first class upgrade by one spot. So um didn't happen for me. I'll find, I'll see if I can try it again when I go to Houston next week. But um, no, it was an easy flight. Going from Chicago to Charlotte is like an hour and a half flying time. So it's not a big deal. Do you still have your club pass active? I do. I am a United Club. I'm still, I don't know how, Premier Platinum or whatever it is. So I have like those perks still, but um, yes, I am there. Uh, to me, that's that's worth the money, man. I mean, just oh, being able to go and sit and relax and, you know, I travel. I think that for folks who don't travel, they, they see the glamorous side, right? Going and seeing new cities, going out to dinner. All those things are great, but it is exhausting especially when you have back to back to back weeks sacked up and you're hitting different cities and just the things that you take for granted, you know, going to your kitchen to have breakfast and, and all those things. Yes. Somebody's making all your food for you. Those things are great, but everything's new trying to figure out where you have to go, where you have to be, um, all the sleeping in your of, own bed. Yeah. The comforts all of home are, are all gone. Yeah. I like traveling. I think it's fun. You know, it's, it's, it certainly is not all glamorous. I think like a lot of people may, may assume it may be, there's a lot of waiting around, um, you know, kind of not necessarily downtime, more like dead time. You can't really do anything. You're in a line in TSA or you're in a line boarding or whatever it may be, right? Or you're at a plane where you may be disconnected, things like that, but I still enjoy it. I feel like one of the, it's the more you travel, the easier it gets. And I am totally fine with investing in myself and having things like club passes and comfortable travel and things like that, just to make it, you know, that much easier. So, so treat yourself when it comes mm. out, <laughs> when, you, when, when you're thinking about traveling. Well, I think the other thing that you have to do that, that dead time that you talked about is that's a time where you could be sharpening the saw, especially in the day and age of podcasts. And I'm not just pumping the identity at the center podcast, which is reaching new levels of listenership, we should point out. But there's so many great podcasts out there in the industry, as well as the world at large. Um, and you can use that time to educate yourself and entertain. Or just crank out some tunes and decompress your choice. <laughs> there's a there's a certain value to that as well. Exactly. All right. So I think uh, what are we going to talk about this week? We have really kind of a bunch of random questions, I think, that we've got from from folks that are out there 
that have come across our proverbial virtual desks here. Um, and yeah, we have we have been on a little bit of a tear here recently with folks listening. So I certainly appreciate all the folks who are listening now and, you know, have subscribed. If you have a subscribe, you're just catching us one off, you know, subscribing is awesome. That helps us out a lot. Sharing with friends or enemies, either way, it's fine. Uh, is great as well. Um, we've gotten some nice notes from listeners literally all over the world. We had Martin in Vienna, Austria sent us a nice note. Jennifer in Toronto, Canada. Uh, Manish in Seattle, Washington. Um, you got a note from Pranav in Ireland. Uh, he didn't send me anything, so what's <laughs> up with that, Pranav? <laughs> yeah, but he did mention you in the note. Okay, well, that was nice of him. I guess I'll, I'll give him 50% credit. Um, but yeah, this is the kind of the, the cool stuff, right? It was, we're always happy to connect with folks and, and, you know, take questions, give thoughts, opinions, or even just, you know, virtual fist bumps, whatever it is. So, you know, feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn. I, I always include uh, Jim and I, our, our LinkedIn profiles in the show notes, but we're pretty easy to find at this point. Uh, so hopefully uh, folks will continue to do that, but it's very cool. And we, we, it's not certainly lost on us. We certainly appreciate that. So hopefully uh, folks continue to listen and enjoy and things like that. So all right, so let's get into maybe a little bit of a rapid fire kind of question and answer and thoughts and feelings and opinions. How about that? I love it. Let's do it. Okay. Do you want to go Here's first or should I? Part. Yeah, I'll shoot first. Um, okay. So it's kind of a a question that I don't, I, this is what I, what I feel like. Our rapid fire isn't going to be so rapid fire, but we'll do our best. Okay. <laughs> we'll try to keep it brief. This other thing too is we really, we have the questions, but I'll be honest, I have not really had a lot of time to give it a super amount of thought. I think okay. maybe we've looked at it for like, I don't know, 15 minutes, half an hour as we're kind of putting this together and kind of figuring things out. So these are certainly point in time feelings as of April, 2022nd. I'm happy yeah. to get smarter for it. So if I say something stupid, please feel free to reach out to me and tell me so on LinkedIn or better yet, come on the show and tell me why I'm stupid. I'm happy to get smarter. So, all right. But now that disclaimer is out of the way, hit me. Yeah. And well, one more disclaimer. This is, and this is how we go, right? We just keep piling on. But one more disclaimer is you always hear people say you, you haven't succeeded until you have haters. I don't think we have any haters yet. I mean, at least somebody's like reached out and said like, you guys suck. That's statistically impossible based on the numbers that I see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're out there. They're just not vocal or spam filters catching them either way. Yeah. But okay. There you go. Anyway, we digress. Let's get into it. We digress. So what is the biggest bang for the buck when it comes to IAM technology? Biggest bang for the buck. So specifically on a technology side of things, so we're thinking of things like privilege access management or identity governance, or maybe um, access management. I'm gonna go with uh, the tried and true classic MFA. I think that's the biggest bang for a buck that you can get right now. It's relatively simple to implement. Um, it's might already be included in, in a plan that you might have from a major vendor. Um, so I'm gonna go with uh, MFA. I started with that same list of three items. So privilege access management, IGA or identity administration and governance or identity governance administration or single sign on, which includes MFA. And I was going to say the single sign on including MFA, but I'm primarily thinking that, you know, this is what I see a lot with smaller organizations that have grown. They made that early investment in that technology. One of the great things about it is if you shut off the person's account, if you do a really good job of integrating single sign-on across your, your full IT landscape and you shut somebody's account off within that single sign-on platform, you shut them off from access that they have 
you know, as close to across the board as possible. So all of these, you know, the biggest bang for the buck really does depend on the idea that um, you're actually going to implement it and implement it broadly, implement it correctly. Um, but I think you hit another point spot on, right? If your authentication controls are weak, in other words, if you're not using MFA, um, you're opening the door to be compromised. And there used to be a big debate in the IAM space, which is, are we better off with single sign-on or not? Because if we don't have single sign-on, we have 100 applications. To get access to all 100 applications, you have to actually hack an account in 100 applications. With single sign-on, I just need to hack one, one account in one application. Now I have access to all the applications that that account had access to. So you have to have good access management controls. I think one of the, the, the counter argument that I always had to, you know, well, because somebody might be sitting there like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. My counter argument to that was now imagine you're the user and you have a hundred applications you need to access and you have to set up a password for a hundred applications. Are you going to come password. with a hundred different <laughs> passwords? Are you yeah. going to change them any more than you have to change them? Or are you going to make them as easy to remember as possible? And that's it, you know, and that's, so much of what we we found with um you know the iam controls like the nist password guidance that you know they're, they're essentially countering um human behavior uh poor poor practices that people will put into place poor password hygiene if they have to change their password you know too frequently rather than really changing their password it's just add an extra exclamation point or pound sign to the end of the password all right, that wasn't so rapid, first of all. And second of all, I think you cheated because you picked what I consider two technologies, single sign-on and MFA. Well, I mean, do you really see people buying those technologies separate? I mean, it could be. Yeah, I see people who they've put in, you know, an SSO technology of some sort, but they never they didn't have MFA. So then they, then they go into MFA separately. Not now. Like today, I think it's a different. But yeah. I do see legacy authentication infrastructures that do not have MFA. Thankfully, I think a lot of people put MFA in place over the last couple of years with the whole, you know, working from home and virtual, you know, virtual workforce and things like that. So I think that's good, but I think there's still, you know, legacy infrastructures out there that for whatever reason still have not integrated MFA. You're right. I'm a cheater. You're a cheater. I'm a, a dirty cheater. In this case, I'm glad I cheated because <laughs> you should do both. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Do both. Don't, don't cheap out. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Let's go to the next question. Do you want to give it to me or I'll give it to you? Um, I'll give it to you. Should right. every IAM program have its own IAM architect? Should every IAM program have its own IAM architect? Um, no, I don't think it's necessary as long as you have a good architect that understands the IAM components. Unless you've got a very complicated identity and access management infrastructure or set of use cases or whatever it may be, maybe a big organization, then maybe yes. But if we're being, you know, at dealing in absolutes uh, like the Sith, um, you know, I don't think if we're going black and white, I think, no, it's not necessary to have your own IAM architect. Does it help? Yes, but not required. Yeah, I think it's I think you. Every one of these questions, every time we talk about IAM, you have to think about the organization. 
if you have a 50,000 employee organization or you have some kind of IM infrastructure that is colossal for whatever reason, a million users, uh, millions of users, whatever, you definitely need to have an IM architect, somebody who sits at a technology level at the top. Um, if you're a smaller organization, I think, you know, unless you're a very small organization, you need to have at least an enterprise IT architect. That person could potentially play the role of IAM architect over CIM. And to your point, have, you know, an understanding of what's going on. And then you can rely on third-party vendors to do technology implementations or even drive the strat or help, you know, help dictate or help drive the strategy for what you should be doing from an IAM perspective. But you need to have somebody on the inside who understands the technology enough to call BS and challenge your vendor to, you know, make sure that what they're driving you toward is what you need to do benefits you and not just benefits them. Yep. I think that was a perfect consulting answer. It depends. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's mostly related to the size and complexity of what do you have going on from an identity perspective. All right. Give me one more and then, and I'll take over and give a few. All right. Which is more valuable? UBA, user behavior analytics, or passwordless? More valuable. I'm going to, right now, passwordless. I'm not convinced that UBA is all that effective right now for most organizations. I think, I think far more organizations are in a position to actually adopt and implement a passwordless solution compared to the value that they might be able to get out of a user behavior analytics platform, which requires good data coming from other sources and, you know, systems and things like that. So I'm going to go with passwordless. Yeah. Final answer. Well, no, that's a good answer. And I think, um, you're taking a practical approach to it. Passwordless solutions out there are much more, you know, here and now, and, um, it's definitely the hot space. I think theoretically, when I look at what an IAM program needs to accomplish, it needs to know if a, a credential or an identity has been compromised and is doing things it shouldn't be doing, or even if it's not compromised and there's an insider threat taking place using uh, with by a person who's using their own credentials, but is using them in a way that they shouldn't be. I think this is like the crux of what IAM needs to deliver in the future years. The technology needs to be able to drive that. I just don't think that it's compellingly simple enough that an organization can say, I'm going to buy a product and get there, or the architecture is step one, step two, step three. Um, and again, this is one of those ones where if somebody is listening and, and pounding their, their fists on the dashboard right now that yes, this is possible, come on the show and, and explain to us how it's possible. But I do think it's, um, more difficult to achieve than something like passwordless. And, but I do think that in the long run, this is where the IAM space needs to go. I agree. I mean, I think, I think we've been hearing that though, for almost a decade now about behavior analytics and how important they are to an IAM program. But the truth of the matter is I just, I haven't seen a, a good execution of that idea yet in the real world. Unless maybe you're like a Google or a Microsoft, you know, or some other major, major, major IDP 
that has the scale and scope and budget to do that. So I think like passwordless is more attainable. I think it helps on a variety of fronts, right? Security, usability, you know, like all that good stuff. But it's also just, it's easier to put in. It's, you could literally be done in, you know, in a small trial within a day of getting it out in the hands of people. Behavior analytics, you've got to like establish baselines. What is normal behavior? You know, what happens when something like COVID comes along and what was normal behavior, you know, on the previous Friday is now totally different for an entire organization on Monday when everyone just started working from home or, you know, wherever they were. Like, I think there's, I, I don't think it's easy enough yet for the majority of IAM programs to really be able to take advantage of it. And I still yeah. feel like vendors are pushing AI and ML, machine learning, you know, things like that to customers, which sound cool, but distract from probably the, the issues that they're already facing. They don't have a place to go to know who has access to what. Everything's manual. They don't have, you know, strong session management or, or things like that from a privilege, you know, authentication standpoint. Or heck, they don't even have MFA in place. I mean, I feel like it's, it's a cool thing, but it's like at the very end of the roadmap right now for a lot of folks and not necessarily the beginning. But I hope it gets there. I mean, I hope, I hope we collectively move forward <laughs> as a species when it comes to uh, identity and access management in general. But I'm just not seeing it yet. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right on. I think practically, pragmatically, you're absolutely right. I think what's the worst thing that can happen to your IAM program is that you get breached. Second worst thing is you get breached and then you don't even know how far the breach went. Now it's like you were asleep at the wheel, but pragmatically and practically, it's very hard to know when you've been breached until the threat actor announces, I, I'm in, I've got the goods. Now you've been breached, they got the goods. Can you figure out what they did, how far they went, what they, what in totality they got, you know, what accounts they created in the background? They ultimately, that's it. <laughs> that's yeah. it. You're, you know, I always say like, you know, the um, baseline of a good IM program is you know who has access to what. I, I think the reality of what I'd like to say is, you know who has access to what, and you know what they did with that access. But it's just so hard for almost every organization to do that. It's funny because you mentioned Apple, Microsoft, Google, and for them to do it, man, those are colossal organizations. Imagine what that footprint looks like for them to actually be able to do that. But they are tech companies and so I wouldn't doubt it. It wouldn't surprise me too that they have some of the same struggles on the enterprise side. I mean, I think nothing's perfect and there's always something to move forward with. But you know, you mentioned um, you know, come on the show and let us know if we're if we're crazy, if you've seen, you know, a, a engagement like this where you have AI or ML or something that's helping you. I would love to hear about it because I think it would be interesting for other folks to hear it. I'm gonna have a callback too. If you remember many episodes ago. I challenged someone to come on and tell me that Lotus Notes was not a good IAM platform or that it was a good IAM platform, right? Because I say it's not. No takers yet. So um, I'm going to call I'm going to call that a win uh, for us and uh, keep moving on. All right, let's get to the next question because we've got some interesting ones here. Uh, it's kind of a random smorgasbord. Most of these kind of fall into really kind of authentication layer uh, questions. So here's the first one for you. How long should an authenticated session last? I think that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, it, it depends. Can I say it depends? Well, good I think job. part of the, 
yeah, I think part of it is, um, are we talking about like a customer use case or a, a an enterprise use case? Um, and what kind of customer use case, right? If it, is it financial, medical, retail? Right. Yeah, exactly. Is it one of those scenarios where you don't want to annoy your customer, then they go away and each time their session times out, they're, um, they lose everything in their shopping cart and they have to start over again. How annoying would that be? If you went into Amazon, put things in your shopping cart, your session timed out, and then you lost your shopping cart. That would not be a good user experience. So, um, the carts are a big problem for retail. Big problem for millions retail. of dollars are lost when retailers have the abandoned cart issue. So, there is a lot of focus paid on making this a good user experience for sure. Right. And the amount of fraud that probably happens because somebody stepped away from their computer is, you know, you'd be willing to pay for that fraud versus losing customers in mass. Uh, I think on the enterprise side, it's still like, I see timeout sessions set as low as like 15 minutes and 30 minutes. And it's extremely irritating. Um, I, you know, my feeling is, you know, it should be an hour or longer in general. But, you know, obviously it depends a lot on, you know, the risk that's related to the the, set, the login session. So my my feeling is somewhere between like an hour and I go as long as like 12 hours, 24 hours. Um, what about you? I think that makes sense maybe for like a physical terminal. Obviously, if it's like a shared terminal or maybe in an environment where there are a lot of people around, that timeout is probably going to be pretty quick for, for obvious reasons. I think if we look at this maybe from a different perspective, maybe a web authentication. So if I'm logging into like, you know, an account to buy something, Amazon, we always like to pick on them. How long is my login session good for? 14 days, 30 days? I mean, I think I, I, think I typically see... Yeah, you get proud for authentication like once a month, maybe, or maybe if it's a financial institution, you know, remember me for 14 days. If the remember me button never works, which half the time it doesn't. <laughs> um, but I, I think I, I look at it from that perspective as well is how long should maybe the cookie last that has that authenticated session in it or the token or whatever it may be. I think 14 to 30, 14 to 30 days is probably pretty standard um, with the caveat that if you are even if you're already authenticated, you probably want to have an MFA step or some other confirmation step in place if you're doing like a critical account transaction, like change my email address, change my phone number, you know, things that may affect the security of the organ of the uh, of the account itself, maybe on the consumer side. Um, you know, make sure you've got things like session hijacking kind of under control. What happens if someone, you know, does a man in the middle, takes a token and kind of inserts it. I think we've seen a few different <laughs> breaches recently that, that have been taking advantage of that. Um, I know OWASP has some pretty good information on that too. So, um, I think that's important. Yeah. I mean, ultimately it, it comes back to a trade off between security and usability. Um, and I think from, uh, from the standpoint of the behavior of the application has to be taken into account as well. If you're talking about the session timeout for, um, your single sign on system, but then you have applications that timeout in less time than the single sign-on system. You might have some weird behavior for the user. All right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, let's see. Storing PII in a cookie like email address. Is that a good idea? Can you, well, I guess let's say, should you, can, can you store PII in a cookie? 
like an email address. So now we're talking like a web authentic web, you know, application, a cookie or something like that. What are your thoughts on that? So yeah, a web a web application can store a session cookie um, and store. I you could potentially store PII data uh, and encrypt it. I think that would be a bad idea, even if it's encrypted, because it's something that sits on the hard drive of the device that is authenticated. Um, better to keep that information on your servers and just retrieve it in the form of, you know, session data. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I think, I think I'd probably be okay with some pieces of information being there because you need something to identify the user. Um, unless you've got some kind of sort of, you know, employee or customer number equivalent or something like that. It definitely has to be encrypted. It should not be in clear text. How long you keep it, I guess you could keep it forever if you were confident that it never changes. But I'm more of thinking like maybe it should align with whatever your session timeout is. Establish a brand new cookie every time rather than reusing some of the old information. That way you've always got relatively recent information that might be helpful. I'm not a developer, so I, you know, I might be um, talking out of school here. But I think from a, from a strategy and a security side of things, that would make sense. Yeah. I think from a PII perspective, it also like... We just use the term PII as like, you know, okay, yeah. that's that's bad. We don't want to get that up. And it's different between a bank account number and, um, you know, a birth date even is, you know, kind of going down less and less important or impactful. So if you just had like the email address, that's still, I think, PII, but it's not as impactful as a social security number. Right. Um but I do think that if you're writing things to a user's hard drive, user's device, um, you kind of lose control over it. You're right. You could overwrite it the next time you initiate a new session, but what if they never come back to your website? And you've wrote, written the social security number to um, a text file on their computer. Yeah. I think bottom line, if you're going to write something to a cookie, you got to be okay with it being out there. Assume that it could be read even if you have it encrypted and if you're okay with that data being out there then you know so be it i think you probably want to inform the user too like what what data might be stored on there cookie consent policies you know things like that all the all the garbage spam that nobody ever clicked you know, yeah yeah okay except all cookies you know whatever <laughs> um right. you know at least try to help people be aware of what's stored out there is probably helpful um all right let's go to the next one uh i thought this was an interesting use case so the question was basically revolving around the confirmation of a legacy account and linking that to someone's social login. So here's the use case. It, it sounds like this is a retail scenario where they have customer accounts in some sort of legacy platform, and now they're introducing social login. And I think in an ideal scenario, or maybe not ideal, but one scenario might be the person logs in with a social login. So now that the social login is sort of like the primary but they also had a legacy, you know, we'll call it on-prem for lack of a better term, uh, you know, account with the organization. What would be the right way to establish ownership of that legacy account and associate it with the social IDP login? What are so the old way that, yeah, the old way that used to be done would be um, log into both. So maybe you, you come in with, uh, your IDP account, you're already authenticated to that. 
and you have to type in your username and password for um, the legacy account. If you don't remember the password for the legacy account, I think you would go ideally go through an unlock process to unlock the account. If you're unable to unlock the account, I think then you'd have to have some method to prove ownership for that account. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think most of the time what I see is, yeah, type in the, the username and password associated with that account, and then you get some sort of prompt like, are you sure you want to link these together? <laughs> Whatever yeah. that means from a data perspective behind the scenes. Um, I certainly would not just let someone link an account without being able to establish ownership. At least, yeah. at least perform the basic step of proving ownership of the account, even if that's just a password. I think you could probably do some other things like, if depending on the data, put it in a last name or an account number or mailing address or something could probably help with that. You know, one, one, um, yeah. one thing I want to point people to is the Coopier um, dot com. So Martin Coopier and several of the analysts from Coopier Cole have been on the show. This is not uh, just a plug for them, but their website has a really good authentication process that allows you to create a legacy account and then link a social account. So this exact scenario that we're talking about, I think becomes very clear when you go to their site, create an account, go through that process. So kill two birds with one stone. See what we're talking about and you'll uh, you know, have some level of access to a pretty good analyst firm. Yeah, they definitely put out good stuff. So that's a good way to kind of like run through it. I think that's just an interesting idea, right? Go through it. We all have accounts. Go try this stuff out. I mean, what's the worst thing that happen? You get locked out <laughs> and then you have to go through a forgot password scenario or whatever it may be. Um, that's a big way that you know, that's the thing in the IAM space. One of the first ways you learn about customer IAM is by being a customer and experiencing <laughs> all these things on the internet. Yep. I could tell you, I had a, a terrible, I have a terrible story for you. It's just a quick aside. Um, I have, I was given an account to access something and the password wasn't working and they force you to call into a help desk to reset your password. So I called in. And the guy just gave me a password, didn't authenticate me one way. I just said, Hey, I'm trying to log into this account. Okay. Here's a new password. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> and I got in, wow. um, you know, for folks who are out there, you're listening, please make sure your help desk or whoever's doing your frontline support has a good way to authenticate people calling in, <laughs> uh, more than just, okay. Yeah. I'm so-and-so. Okay. Sounds good. Um, Definitely a weak spot there, and I'm sure we will be having conversations with the team <laughs> um, uh, as we move along. But uh, yeah, horror story. Uh, there you go. Uh, all right, let's do one more and start to wrap things up because we've been kind of going here for a little bit. Uh, this one revolves around one-time passwords. How many invalid one-time password attempts should be allowed? Is there any sort of best practice or anything like that when it comes to sort of managing I guess how many how many times do you let somebody try to try to enter a second factor before you either lock them out or do something? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, my thought goes to okay, if you're having um, problems typing in a one-time password, it's because of one of two reasons. One is you don't actually have the device, so you're not getting the one-time password. You're guessing it. The other is that you have some kind of input error, either. You're getting a code and it looks like something that is not like a zero looks like an O or mm -hmm. something. A one, and, and a lower an case I looks L. like a one. Yeah. yeah. 
that, that kind of thing. Or you have caps lock set on your keyboard or you have a broken key on your keyboard. So I kind of feel like sending somebody. I think that broken keyboard one, I'm smiling because I know someone who has a broken keyboard and he, and he refuses to get it fixed. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, that could be me. Um, I think that sending us, sending a new one-time password a couple of times, I would think three times, three new pa- one-time passwords within, you know, 10 minute, 15 minute uh, window is reasonable. Beyond that, I think you've got to have your spidey senses up and at that point, um, lock the account. Yeah, I can get on board with that. I also feel like, you know, it's, it's a counterbalance of usability and security as well. Like this is a retail scenario. Well, the first question is like, are you using one-time passwords in retail scenarios? Usually not unless it has something to do with charging something to a credit card, in which case it is a higher level of protection required, but yeah, that you know, so you don't want to scare away your customers so they don't come back. But if somebody's having that hard of a time with the one-time password, it's, there's something wrong. Yeah. I thought of another reason why it may be working. It could be something, a time sync issue between the either, you know, if it's like a mobile authenticator type thing versus whatever the server's looking at, I, I rarely see that, but I have seen it in the past. Yep. Um, so that could be another issue. Sending them, you know, 500 OTPs is not going to solve that problem, right? No, so that's expensive really... too. Those things cost money. You might even, you might be getting charged every time you send an OTP out. It might be something your IDP or, you know, whatever vendor you're using for the MFA might be charging you for every time they send a text. It might be 10 cents, might be, you know, a penny, whatever it is, but that stuff can add up. And you don't want somebody that's trying to like brute force, you know, drain in your bank accounts. <laughs> that's right. That's a right. kind of attack I hadn't thought of. The Twilio yeah. attack just keeps getting attack. OTPs to charge you half a penny for each OTP. Eventually, you have Twilio millions of dollars. Well, that's a, that's a, actually an anti-scammer, phone call scammer tactic, is you do a call flutter uh, so that you're calling typically an 800 number where scammers are call, you know accepting calls from people trying to you know, reimburse their car warranty that they don't have, or, you know, some sort of service plan they didn't ask for. They're all scams, but there's typically some sort of toll-free number that's included. And the people who go after those things, kind of like hacktivist type people, is they basically whip up a call flutter that sends, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of calls. And each of those things, the vendor has to pay for. So if you're a scammer, you know, how do you go after you go to their finances? Like, okay, well, we prepaid for a hundred dollars worth of um, you know, 800 calls, 800 number calls or free toll free calls that they're getting flooded every time, <laughs> you know, that, that that's a financial impact on them. Yeah. I mean, you know, ransomware is designed to get companies to pay the hackers to, you know, stop doing what they're doing. If you're doing some kind of distributed denial of service, that can be turned into a ransomware type of event where we'll pay you to stop attacking our servers yep all right let's uh let's close out here on a lighter note for this week you came up with the question so i'll let you ask it all right i'll do my best so um i want to know because i know you're a music aficionado what are the three most recent songs you've added to your playlist or you know top three that you've added recently that are just in your head because I'm not going to say my exact last three, 
I'm going to pick the three that I've been playing over and over again. So what are yours? Is that because Baby Shark is one of those? Is that is that one of the ones that are on there? <laughs> no, even better. Wait till I get to my list. I'm really happy with it. All right. Uh, I do enjoy music for sure. Um, I have a. I am a. I am a man of very fine and cultured uh, tastes. That I like to think. I'm looking at my. Uh, oh, let's go with Apple Music because I use a, a couple services. But Apple is my primary. The last three songs that I added to my favorites playlists are all from the same artist. So I'll give you the, both answers. Run the Jewels are literally the last three songs I added to it. Um, if we're going for just artists, I've got Run the Jewels, Slipknot, and Hyper. So that's a pretty good spread yeah. <laughs> of different genres uh, that are out there. Um, yeah. What about you? I do like me some Slipknot. So in that theme, I've got Blind from Corn. Great workout song. I love Corn. Yeah. Yeah. I've got Rock the Casbah from The Clash. Okay. What do you think of that one? Um, I think you play that while you're sitting on the, your front porch yelling at people to get off your lawn. <laughs> no way, man. You need to listen to it again. It's I awesome know the song. song. I just, you know, it's a little old school. There's nothing Very wrong with that, I guess. It's a, it's a fine song. Sure. Wonderful I don't know song. if I would favorite it. I would listen to it maybe, you know, on demand or if it came on a jukebox. But hey, man, this is the great thing about music. Do you do you? So wait, that was two. You had what? Corn and then yeah, but Brock the Casbah. To, what's your third? Brock the Casbah. One more thing about it. So you remember when we were at Identropy, There was a guy named Sharif, right? Yeah, and he was a cool guy. And yeah, absolutely. The repeat in Rock the Casbah is Sharif don't like it. Sharif don't like it. I'm gonna isolate that, and that's my new ringtone. So. Uh, look forward to that, uh, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I knew you. That's see, I didn't want to sing because I knew you'd do something <laughs> like that. That'll be the intro to the to this episode. That's yeah. That'll be our new yeah. Jim sings. <laughs> Jim right. sings. Uh, Jim rocks the Casbah. That's our show title. And fame by David Bowie. Okay. Yeah, we have. Very we have... <laughs> I don't know. That's that sounds more like a text message or maybe like a, a warning siren. Um, Okay. All right. We we have we are men of a variety of, of of very cultured tastes. Let's go with that. We'll go with that. I think yeah. there's probably people out there like <laughs> I don't know any of those songs. Probably. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a great. But thing. hopefully yeah. they'll listen to them and be like, "Wow, I got extra value out of this episode." Yeah. Exactly. Or if you're a fan of any of those, you know, hit us up on LinkedIn. And let us know. Uh, I do. I do approve of the corn selection for sure. I do enjoy. Um, Pretty much everything they do. I celebrate their entire catalog. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any plans for the weekend? Um, I have a honeydew list that is at least 6.7 miles long. So I'm a busy boy. And then I've got to get ready for a flight out on Monday out to uh, Houston. So I have a feeling this is going to be very much a working weekend. And I've got to get this show edited, published, ready to go for Monday and put all that stuff together. So... That is my weekend is probably stuck in front of a computer or doing manual labor. <laughs> what about yourself? Well, I had big plans for the weekend. Our buddy Arturo, probably listening to the episode right now. Hey, Arturo. Um, he and I were going to go to the Atlanta Braves game. Unfortunately, he came down with COVID. And for all this time, two years after the pandemic started, he finally comes down with COVID. So he had to back out for this weekend. So. 
trying to get those tickets sold. He's a lifelong Atlanta Braves fan. Grew up in Monterey, Mexico, where we met him as a client uh, a few years ago. And we've just stayed in touch. He's a huge baseball guy. And um, we're going to go see the Braves. It's going to be his first time seeing a Braves game in person. And it's just going to have to take a rain check. Yeah, that's very cool. I asked one thing I like about this business is every every so often you come across, you know, somebody you work with and it just kind of clicks and it works well. So, yeah, hopefully uh, things are going well. I did text them earlier today and, uh, you know, sounds like things are going OK, but, you know, kind of sucks to get it kind of late in the game. But I think it's just where we're at right now. I, as far as I know, I haven't gotten COVID at this point, so I feel like I'm living on borrowed time, but I'll keep I'll keep rolling as well as long as I can. So, yeah, you're jumping um, around a little bit during the heat of things, too. Yeah, for sure. Um like I said, so so far so good. Uh, score one for for Pfizer and and vaccines and boosters. So I'm a believer. Yeah, um, well, you did lick very many very many doorknobs. I don't think not as many as I normally do, but yeah, I certainly cut back for sure. Um, all right, we've gotten stupid and silly, but it's Friday night, so that's just how it rolls. Um, we have been extremely delinquent on our live streams. I think that is just a product of crazy schedules and trying to get things worked out here with kind of recent changes. Uh, professionally. So we'll get back to that at some point. Um, but we do want to keep our streak of weekly podcasts going. So we're still trying to to make the time to kind of do this. And uh, yeah, and eventually we'll have guests again. We'll get back to the old format um, unless we get an overwhelming sense of we shouldn't do that. But I think those, you know, having the guests has been one of the things I've loved about the podcast is just getting all those different perspectives and getting to meet so many people in this small IM community. So we'll get back to that, but you know, it's, it's really tough to ask somebody, Hey, can you meet at 6 PM on Friday night to do the podcast? (laughs) Everybody's like, uh, no. Yeah. But you know, you and I, the identity nerds, we can certainly do it for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, as, uh, the great warrior poet, uh, Thanos said balance in all things. Uh, so we'll go ahead and leave it there. Um, you know, feel free to subscribe if you haven't already. Share it with a friend or an enemy. As long as we have subscriber or listeners, we'll keep doing this thing. Um, check out the recordings of our live streams at idac.live. Uh, we have, I think, 15 out there right now. So still plenty of stuff to kind of check in on. And find us on the web, identityatthecenter.com. We're on Twitter at IDAC Podcast. And I think that's all I can think of right now. My brain is done for a Friday, so we're going to go ahead and leave it. Uh, Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk with everyone in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and visit us on the web at identityatthecenter.com. Sharif don't like it.